Good morning, Lakeview Church. I just have to tell you, this is one of my favorite parts of the week. I just get to be with you, and I look forward to it all week long as I am working on uh, preparing messages, praying for our time together, just always looking forward to this time of being with our church family. There are lots of fun things I get to do in a week, um, but this is a highlight every week, and it's good for me to be with you. So I want to just welcome you here this morning. I know we've already done that in the service, but I want to do it again, and I want to especially just welcome those who are with us online today. We're so glad that you've taken time to tune in and be with us uh, during our service today. So thanks for being here. There's a lot of things that are going on in the life of our church and in the life of uh, our district uh, as part of the Wesleyan Church. Yesterday and uh, Friday, I was part of a committee known as the District Board of Ministerial Development, and we spent time interviewing 12 individuals who are pursuing ordination. Uh, so all day Friday and most of the day yesterday. Uh, those weeks uh, weekends are always exciting for me because I get to see what God's doing in uh, people who He has called into ministry, who have been diligently preparing themselves for the task of what it means to be an ordained minister in the church. And that's always fun to do that. It was especially fun the last two days because I got to grill two of our own. So that made it particularly enjoyable uh, to get to do a little interrogation of a couple of our staff members. Uh, we don't shine bright lights in their face when we're interviewing them, but it kind of feels like it to them. But we got to interview Pastor Christian and Pastor Jessica, both of whom are on the ordination pathway and have been preparing themselves diligently uh, for the call that God's placed on their lives. So it was a lot of fun to be able to do that over the last couple of days. Uh, in the middle of those kinds of things that are happening, we've got lots of other exciting things going on. Uh, for example, this morning, you might not know this, but Pastor Jared taught a membership class. We've got uh, six or so people in that class. Uh, we've got people joining us by Zoom for that class, some people in person down in the youth room for that. Uh, and it's exciting to see new people engaging in the life of our church and wanting to be a part of what's happening here at Lakeview Church. Uh, we've got baptism coming up on November 22nd. We already got four or five people that have expressed interest in being baptized, and you might be here this morning saying, I, I've never been baptized, but I am a follower of Jesus, and I want to just encourage you as your pastor to make that step of public profession of faith. It's one of the things that Jesus himself did. He was baptized, and he invites us to follow him in baptism, and it's one of those beautiful pictures of what happens when we decide to follow Jesus. We are buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, and we are raised again to new life. And it's one of the sacraments of the church, and it's one of the beautiful things that we get to do. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you uh, to see me or see Pastor Jared after the service, because we would love uh, to talk with you about what that would mean for you. So we've got those kinds of things coming up, and we're excited about that. Uh, over the last four or five weeks, I've spent time with 11 different focus groups, both here in the church, the, uh, our Christian school, and our counseling center. Uh, 160 or more people were a part of those focus groups. It was incredibly exciting. We've got 17 pages of notes, 10-point font, single-spaced, of just all of the wonderful stuff that you said. I had to shrink the font so the vision team wouldn't get mad at me for giving them a 100-page book to read. So I shrunk the font way down. Now they need a magnifying glass to read it. Uh, pray for them. Pray for them. Uh, tomorrow night, our vision team will have its very first meeting. 
Uh, their job, uh, they were appointed by the board, but their job is to look at all of that information that came in from the focus groups and start to look for themes and things that the Holy Spirit of God seems to be energizing in our midst as we seek to articulate a future picture that God wants us to pursue together as a congregation. So we praying for the vision team. We meet again for the very first time tomorrow night at 6.30. So as God brings that team to mind, please just lift up a prayer to God and just say, God, please give our church vision, give us unity, and give us courage. Uh, lots, of, lots of fun things are in front of us, and we're excited about what God's going to do uh, as we move into the future. One other exciting thing that I wanted to share with you that's happening is Kid Street is starting this week. Uh, and a couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of signing up, volunteering, being a part of that. And I just want to let you know that uh, Kayla is not uh, mad at me because we actually have enough volunteers, I think, to make this thing work. So that's good news. Um, but if you have it in your heart that you want to be a part, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know of any ministry in our church where we would not take more volunteers. At least we got one amen. That, that was a good spot for an amen. We'll always take more volunteers. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, you know what? I intended to volunteer for Kid Street. You just see Miss Kayla right after the service, and she's going to help you get signed up and be a part of that because uh, we can always use extra people to help us with that important ministry. That's going to start this week. It'll run the next six weeks, and we're excited about that. So we are in the book of Ephesians, and we're in the middle of a series called Rock Solid, and I just wanted to take a couple of minutes just to maybe frame where we're at in this series. You remember, we began the series uh, by kind of introducing the letter, not at the beginning, but at the end of Ephesians. We went all the way to chapter 6, and we looked at this verse where Paul says that his goal for the people that he's writing to is that they would be able to withstand the evil day and having done everything else to be able to stand. And we said that's the goal of this series, that we would become the kind of people and the kind of church that, that we can withstand the evil day and having done everything else that's being asked of us, we would be able to stand firm. And that's why we've been calling this series Rock Solid. What does it take for us to be the kind of Christians and the kind of church that's rock solid, that stands firm in a day and age where everything around us seems volatile, it seems uncertain, it seems complex, and it seems ambiguous. What does it look like and mean for us to, to learn to be the kind of people that stand firm in the midst of that kind of day and age? And so uh, we've been talking about that all throughout the series. The uh, guy who wrote this letter, his name's Paul, he wrote it to a group of first century Christians in the city of Ephesus. This group of Christians were uh, Jews and Gentiles, two uh, very opposed groups to each other in Paul's day, and yet they found themselves as part of one church in the city of Ephesus. And Paul writes a letter to these people to help them understand what does it look like to live the kind of life. And so we've been looking at different parts of Ephesians over these weeks. And so far we've kind of talked about two major ideas uh, in the messages in this series. We've talked first about the fact that our faith trajectory needs to help us go from death to life. Right? And we said that really it's all about personal transformation. You want to be rock solid in a day and age where everything around us is shifting and changing and there's all kinds of ideologies and perspectives and different philosophies of life. You want to be rock solid in the midst of that uh, kind of world. You have to experience personal transformation. God has to actually change your life. 
You need a miracle of God to come in and make you a different person. You have to move from death to life. And we've talked about this in uh, two or three of the messages. Uh, Pastor Jared talked about it when he said, you got to take off that old ratty sweater. Remember that he was wearing that old self and the one that had like holes in the sleeves and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and you got to put on this new self. Right? Ephesians talks about that. Take off the old self, put on the new self. That's that transformation language. Remember Pastor Lenny came and talked to us about the fact that we have to open wide the aperture of our heart and let the light of Christ in. And when the light of Christ comes in, it takes the darkness inside of us, it changes it to light. And then we reflect the light of Christ in the world around us. You see, personal transformation is a significant part of what it takes to live a rock-solid life in this world. People who aren't changed, who just believed, put Jesus in their heart, but they didn't actually learn how to live it out day to day, they're finding their faith being shaken in these days. But if we allow ourselves to really be changed by God, we actually become different people. And we have a different quality which allows us to stand even in this crazy time that we're living in. I was with uh, someone just yesterday and they were talking about the fact that because of, uh, of the way that God's been shaping and forming them over the last couple of years, that for them COVID has not been a downtime. It's been a spiritually renewing time. They have found themselves growing even more because of how God had prepared them for this season. That's a beautiful picture of what I'm talking about. When we let God do his work in us, he prepares us for even difficult times and we can grow through them. Now, the other idea that we've been talking about so far in this series is not just that we go from death to life, but that we go from self to mission, right? In Ephesians chapter two, we learn that uh, we begin our lives by following the desires of our minds and our bodies. We kind of just do what we want to do and we just run after what we want. But Paul says that when we come to faith and we're made alive together with Christ, we begin to discover that it's not following our own desires that will be a successful, effective, fulfilling life. It's actually learning to do the good works, which we were created in Christ Jesus to do. And so that's a move from self to mission. And we kind of emphasized that even more last week in our Global Engagement Sunday when we talked about the fact, what does it take for the church to get back to its original design? The church was designed to be a movement, a movement of God that's constantly going out into the world and spreading the gospel far and wide. And everywhere the gospel goes, that, that people would come behind as shepherds and teachers to deepen the faith of those who accept Jesus so that the church is always growing wide and it's always growing deep. We talked about returning to the design of the church so that the church could be unleashed in our day and become everything that God wants it to be. Well, this morning, I want to go back from Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're not doing Ephesians like anybody else. I'm just telling you. We are jumping all around. Um, we're going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, the verses that were read a few moments ago. Because I want to talk about why we need the church to be unleashed. See, we need the church to be unleashed. We need the church to live up to its calling to be a fully functioning church. Because the world right now is suffering from its core problem. And the church is the only entity in the world that is designed to address the core problem that humanity is dealing with. 
And the core problem that humanity is dealing with could be summarized in the word separation. You see, in, in our day and age, and really all throughout human history, the core problem of the human condition is that we find ourselves separated. We find ourselves separated from God, and we find ourselves separated from one another. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis when sin entered the world. Remember when the serpent comes to Eve and says, you can eat this. And she says, but God said, don't eat it. And he says, ah, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Eat it anyway. And Eve eats of the fruit, and then she gives it to her husband, and he eats as well. And sin enters the world. And what happens in that moment? Separation. Right? Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, but not after they ate the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. After that, what did they do? They went and they hid because there was separation, there was shame, there was guilt, and it, it distanced their relationship with God. Not only that, but it distanced their relationship with each other. Right? What, what happens next when God comes? Adam says, well, it's the woman that you gave me. Right? He's, he's shifting the blame. And what does Eve do? She shifts the blame to the creation, right? It's, it's the serpent. And there's distance in relationships. This is the core problem of humanity. And I don't need to give you a whole bunch of evidence because you already know it's true. I mean, look at the world we're living in. We have people who are distant from God. And because they're distant from God, they're doing whatever they want to do with their lives. And when humanity goes and does whatever they want to do with their lives, separated from God, apart from God's plan and purpose, it never ends well. It never ends well. It always leads to brokenness. It always leads to destruction. It always leads to death and to despair. That's where choosing our own path always takes us. And yet humanity is kind of bent to go that direction. And not only do we find ourselves separated from God, doing whatever we want to do, finding our way to death and destruction, but, but we are divided from one another. Right? I'm hoping I'm not sharing something you didn't already know, but we live in a divided time. Now, it's not like a few years ago we were all best buddies. This is not like a new problem of humanity. Humanity has always found a way to divide ourselves up into factions and tribes and groups, and then we fight against one another. And part of the way that we solidify the identity of the group that we belong to is by fighting against another group. Right? This is kind of how it works. This is why Patriots fans and Colts fans don't get along. You'll be proud of me, though. I, I saw a Penguins fan, for those of you who know hockey, and I think we got some extra Penguins fans in the crowd today, I was told. So. But I saw a Penguins fan working in her yard. And Elaine, I'm not going to name Elaine, but, but, um, <laughs> but she was working in her yard, and I was proud of myself. Because I pulled up and I, I had polite conversation with a Penguins fan. Now, I did start the conversation by saying, go Caps. But it's just part of it, right? One group solidifies its identity against another group by fighting. And we talk about it in jest when we think about sports. But there are a lot, a lot more serious divisions in our culture today. Almost everywhere we turn, every single issue divides us. Whether it's economics, whether it's education, whether it's politics, whether it's race and ethnicity, 
We have divisions all across our culture, and, and we are creating new identities almost every day and splintering our culture into factions and groups and tribes that fight against one another all the time. This is the world in which we live. This is the core problem of humanity. So the reason, to go back to last week, why do we need the church to be fully functioning? Because the world needs to be redeemed and restored. And as much as I, wanna, I want us to participate in the civil process of elections and, and government, and as important as I think all of those things are, and they are important, I want you to hear me clearly. They are important. You should participate in the political process in our country today. You should participate. But I just want to remind you that government is not going to redeem and restore the world. That's actually not the job that God gave to the government. God didn't entrust that mission to the government. So sometimes we get mad at the government because the government's not doing what we need them to do to advance the Christian cause, and it's just misplaced. If the mission of God's not being fulfilled, don't point your fingers anywhere else. Just come right back here because we're the entity that's been given the mission of God. If the mission of God's not being fulfilled in the world, it's our fault. We are the only mission force that God has, the church. And it stretches across every segment of society, government included, which is why the church has to be faithful to its mission. Right? So we need a fully functioning church because the world depends on it. So I want to talk to you from Ephesians chapter 2 just for a few moments, a few moments we have left, about three or four things that stick out to me from this passage that I think are important for us to know. First, the problem, which we've already spent some time talking about, is separation. Look at Ephesians 2 with me. Look at verse 12. He's writing again to Jews and Gentiles, and this is what he says. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, and you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What is Paul saying to these Christians in Ephesus? He's pointing them back to a time in their life when they dealt with the core problem, which was separation. They were distant from Jesus Christ. They were distant from God the Father. They had not been reconciled to their Creator because they were not living in relationship with Jesus Christ. And they found themselves not only distant from a relationship with God, but they found themselves distant from a relationship with God's people. That's what Paul's saying here. You were separated from Christ and you were separated from Israel. There was a division between people and there was a division between you and God. These are two problems that we have. That we are separated from God and we are separated from each other. And we see this in our world today. I don't need to talk much more about this except just to remind you that in our county of about 69,000 people, 42,000 of them have no connection to any religion whatsoever. We do not need to go somewhere else to find a mission field. We live in a mission field. 42,000 people today are separated from Jesus Christ right here in our county where we live. Some of you in this room this morning are separated from Jesus Christ because you've never decided to follow him. 
It's one of the core problems of humanity. And, and for those of you who might be here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to let you know, we all were in that boat at one point in time in our lives. I mean, I can look around this room this morning and, and tell you that there are lots of people in here who are following Jesus. But there's not a single person in this room who didn't have a time at some point in their life when they weren't following Jesus. We, we all can look back and say, there was a time we were separated from Christ. And, and I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to decide to follow Jesus. If you're in the room and you've never followed Jesus before, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's one of the most important decisions you'll ever make, and it's one of the core issues of life. It's one of the core questions you must answer. Will you follow Jesus or not? But Jesus didn't just come so we could be reconciled to God. He came for that. That's really critical. But he also came to reconcile us to each other. So it's not, it's not okay for us to say that we follow Jesus, but we, we don't like our brother or sister. In fact, Scripture says that's impossible. If you say you love God, but you don't love your brother and sister, you lie. That's what the Bible says. That's exactly what it says. If you say that you love God, but you do not love your brother or sister, you are lying. The truth of God is not in you. Why? Because God did not come just to reconcile us to himself. That's not enough. It's really critical. But God was not just concerned with getting us to love him. He wants us also to love one another. So the core problem of our life is we have separation. We have distance and division between us and God and between us and one another. So what's the solution? The solution is reconciliation. Right? If there's distance between us, between us and God and between us and other people, what's the solution? The solution is to bring it back together in reconciliation, to, to bring us back in relationship to one another. If, if we're distant, the, the solution is closeness. That instead of being distant from one another and divided from one another and separate from one another, that we would learn to live in relationship together. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. This is the solution. And in Ephesians chapter 2, I mean, we read the problem in verse 12, but if you look down, Verse 13, but now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He made us both one. He broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What's the solution? The solution is Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and dies on the cross, not just to reconcile humanity to God, but to reconcile us to one another. This is the heart of God, right? Which is why Jesus said, when asked, what are the two most important commandments? Jesus boiled it down and said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is just like the first, it's not a lesser command, it's not an optional command, it's not a if you get time. Or if this seems to appeal to you, this is just like the first one. Love God and love your neighbor. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You want to be a good person of faith? 
You better learn how to love God and you better learn how to love your neighbor. They go together. The problem is separation. The solution is reconciliation. So what are the implications for us this morning? I want to talk about two of them. And uh, when I get done, you're going to say, this is so simple. At least I hope that's what you say. Because if, if, if it's simple to you, then I've done my job. The first one is that you would be reconciled to God. If you have a core problem of being separated from God, then my desire for you today is that you would be reconciled to God again. Now, uh, just a week or so ago, I got an opportunity to speak to our Christian school students in the 7th through 12th grade. And so I stood in this room during their chapel service and, and spoke to them. And, um, and I'm going to share with you what I shared with them. Because I think it's going to be helpful for us as we understand what the gospel looks like in our lives. See, the reality is, is that we are separated from God because when we are born, we are born with a bent to go away from God, right? So every single person is born, uh, and their motto is, I'm going my direction. I'm going to go my way, right? Now, here's the deal. When my kids were little, I never had to bring my kids into the living room and sit them down on the couch and say, now, Daddy wants to teach you how to be selfish, We never gave those kind of lessons in our home. But you know what? Every single one of my kids learned how to be selfish. Why? Because it was just natural. And it was natural for your kids too. Why? Because we all just go our direction. That's just the way we are. Now, this is true because there's something inside of us that we might call personal desire. Scripture says that it's our flesh or our sin nature. It's just the natural bent of our kind of soul, the way that we are formed as sinful beings to just want to go away from God, which is my direction. Right? And this is a problem that you actually can't fix in your own strength. There's not enough good deeds that you can do to change the bent of your soul to go a different direction. There's not enough good deeds that you could do to cover this one up. You're always going to go your own direction. And you might be a really nice person and you might be really friendly and really kind. But the reality is is that you still have personal desires that take you away from God's plan for your life because everybody goes their own direction. Now, these personal desires that we have, they're reinforced by things like popular culture and peer pressure. We look at the world around us, and the world is full of people that are going their own direction, and we think, well, that's just the way it is. And the world says, go do whatever you want to do. If it makes you feel good, enjoy it. Have fun, because there are no rules, and there are no standards, and you can live life however you want to live it. And you'll, you'll be a more fulfilled person if you just find your own path and do whatever you want to do. It's what popular culture tells you. And then you get around friends who have already bought into that myth and you're part of a community, a network, a friend group that's all going their own direction and you just want to be a part of it and you're afraid to leave it because you're afraid of losing those relationships. And so our own personal desires, our our popular culture that we live in, peer pressure, it takes us in our own direction further and further and further away from God. And where does that lead? It always leads to death. 
all, always leads to death. Romans 3.23 says that every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us goes our own direction. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of that sin is death. It always leads to death. It always leads to destruction. It always takes us to the place where God does not intend for us to be or ever go. And yet we all go there unless we find a way to go a different direction. Which brings me to the other side of the stage. Because God has a plan and purpose for each one of our lives. He has a direction that he wants us to go. And the reality is, is that we go down this path in our direction. And the farther we go down that path, the farther and farther we get away from God's plan for our lives. But God's invitation always stands. No matter how far you, if you've opened those doors and gone all the way down to the end of the hallway, God's still saying, come back. Come back anytime. Come back and go the direction I want you to go. This is God's invitation to our lives. He's always inviting us not to follow our own personal desires, but to learn through the miracle of his spirit working in us that we would follow God's word and God's way and we would pursue what God has for us. Now, in order for us to go God's direction and, and follow God's word and God's way, we have to surrender. You have to actually lay down your life, the right to be in control of your own existence. You have to actually say, God, I'm not going to direct my path anymore. I'm going to let you direct my path. And that's the issue of lordship. It's the issue of saying, God, you're going to be in control. And what this results in is following Jesus. Right? What does Jesus say? If any man wants to follow me, any woman wants to follow me, what do you have to do? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Go a different direction. Now, if that direction over there leads to death, where does this direction lead? New creation, life. Any person is in Christ. That person's a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. Siri does not like that phrase. I don't know why. New creation. That's where this path takes you. And you can have that in a moment when you turn around and decide to follow Jesus. Now, we look at all of that and we say, how do we move from our direction to God's direction? It all comes back to the cross. Jesus died on the cross so that you could turn around. You can't turn around on your own. You can't do it. Remember we talked about in Ephesians chapter 2 earlier in the passage where we talked about the fact that you are saved by grace through faith and the faith, even the faith, is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. You can't decide on your own to follow Jesus, but God is always working by his spirit to invite you and empower you to turn around because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He died, he was buried, he was raised again so that you could turn around. And turning around just simply means that you would repent. Repentance, it's a nice biblical word, and it literally just means to turn around. Now here's what I love about uh, this whole reality. When you go your direction, run as fast and as far and as hard as you want in that direction, you might feel like you're getting farther and farther and farther away from God. But when you stop running and you turn around, guess how far you have to go to find God? 
you already found him right when you turned around. It's the beautiful reality of the gospel. You can run as hard and as far and as fast as you want in that direction. But when you come to the end of yourself and you turn around, Jesus is right there. Open arms. Ready to embrace you and welcome you into the family. Why? Because the mission of Jesus is reconciliation. And Jesus finds you wherever you are on that path and he just walks you back. And as you walk with Jesus, he teaches you how to pursue God's direction for your life. So that at some point, your direction just fades into the background and you are pursuing everything God has for you. This is the mission and the heart and the purpose of God. And this morning, some of you are in this room. There may not be a lot of you in this room today, but there are some of you in this room who are not reconciled to God. Maybe, maybe you used to be a Christian, but you've fallen away. Or maybe you've never been a part of church at all, and you've never followed Jesus. You didn't even know what that meant. Listen, this is the moment. This is the moment. I'm not done with the message yet. i got something else to say after this, but this is the moment. For those of you who are in the room, and you've been running fast, hard, and far in that direction, but today you're ready to turn around, you can do that right now in this moment. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up or do jumping jacks or any crazy thing like that. I'm not even going to ask you to come forward. All I want to ask you to do is, if you will, if you want to turn around, that you would take out your phone. Yes, take out your phone. And just dial the number. Uh, Actually, don't dial it. Text it. 765-222-5937. I'm better at this than Christian is. 765-222-5937. Just text the word follow if you want to turn around. It's going to ask you to give just a little bit of information about who you are so that I can contact you personally in this next week and get together with you to help you begin your new journey of walking with Jesus. That's all I want you to do. And you could text that number uh, right now. You could text it later today. And that's true not just for people in the room, but for people online, 765-222-5937. Just text the word follow, and I will be in touch with you this next week to help you begin your journey of walking with Jesus. Be reconciled to God. Second implication, though, is that we be reconciled to each other. It's not enough It's not enough for us to walk with Jesus. That sounds kind of funny maybe to say. Maybe it sounds funny to hear, but the reality is true. God cares not just that you walk with him. He cares that you walk with your fellow human beings. And we see this all throughout Scripture. We see it in Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He took Jews and Gentiles, the two groups that were completely opposed to one another, Groups of people that were politically opposed, economically different, ethnically different, completely opposite ends of the spectrum, did not get along. What did Jesus do? Jesus took those two groups of people, the two predominant divided groups of the day, and he brought them together, the passage says, and made out of them one new man, one new person, and then through the cross, he reconciled that one new person to the Father. 
and the dividing wall of hostility was taken away in that moment. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was saying, it's not just enough that you love God. I want you to learn to love one. Now, this is all throughout Scripture. We see it in Ephesians 2, but we see it in the book of James as well. James says you don't show favoritism to anybody. You don't look for someone because of how much money they have or because of the status they have or because of the position they have or because of the color of their skin or because of the background that they come from. You don't give anyone a favored place over someone else. Why? Because God doesn't do that. God does not show favoritism. He is not a respecter of persons. There is no group of people, no group of people that God cares about above others. He does not put anyone else down. He is equal opportunity for everyone to know who he is and to walk in relationship with him. And as his people, we must be the same. That's what James teaches us. Paul teaches us this, not just in Ephesians 2, but in the book of Galatians. He says that in Christ, there isn't Jew or Gentile, there isn't slave or free, there isn't male or female. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And in case you need more biblical evidence, let's go to Jesus himself, who said that they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And this led Jesus in John 17 to pray that they would be one, even as Jesus said, me and the Father are one. And he said, if, if, if humanity would become one, then the world would know that the Father had sent Jesus. It is the way that we testify to the world that we really are Christians. We love one another. Now, I don't need to tell you there are lots of divisions in our world. There are divisions in our community. And sometimes we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we love God with all of our heart, but we still do things that separate and divide. And that's not godly. And it's not what God desires from us. So I'm calling the church to be ministers of reconciliation. Help us come back together. Because there are times when Christians, yes, even Christians, maybe some of you sitting in this room, go down the downward spiral of social media political conversations. And you set yourself up as one side of the aisle versus the other side and you attack and you tear down and you destroy the other side and, and you forgot that no one's ever been persuaded by a Facebook post to come to the other side. You, you forgot that that doesn't work. And so all you're left with is an action that actually separates more. It doesn't bring together. It divides. The same thing is true when we think about economics. There are times when we lift up rich over poor or poor over rich and we, we separate ourselves even with things like uh, education and we think that people who have education are somehow better than people who don't or, or vice versa. And we divide. And we don't always intend to do this. We don't set out to have intentions of this, but sometimes our words and our actions do that. We have, to, we have to think about everything that we say and everything that we do as, as how can we bring people together, not, not separate people into groups and factions and tribes and divisions. And of course, there's the issue of race. And we know this in our community. 
We look back in the history of our community and we know that there are racial tensions. There's a history of divisions between races, between white and black. And the church's job is to help bring together people who have not always loved, not always gotten along, to to help groups that have hated to, to stop hating and learn to love. And yet sometimes in the church, we get wrapped up in silly conversations and we, we argue over hashtags and over which lives matter. Silly things like that. And we keep dividing. And we come to the issue of race and we're not human enough to listen. We're not humble enough to learn from someone different from us. And we're not godly enough to repent when we're wrong. And the divide grows bigger. Church, we have to be better. We have to be better than our world on this issue. We should not be looking to secular institutions and organizations to help us learn how to live together in unity. This is the church's job. We should be showing the way. And yet so many times the church just participates, not always willingly, not always intentionally, but we participate and we divide and we separate. But this passage says it's our job to reconcile. So I'm calling us to be ministers of reconciliation because that's what the text demands of us. Right? We come to the word of God not to figure out if we find something we like, but to say how do we align ourselves to what the word of God says. Jesus died to reconcile us to the Father, and he died on the cross to reconcile us to one another, and we must practice that if we are followers of Jesus. We must practice that. And why would we want to do that? Why would we want to do that? Beyond just the simple fact that we should obey God. Ephesians 2 tells us that at the end of the passage it says because you, not you as an individual, but you as a body are being built together as a temple in which God dwells by his spirit. You want to see the spirit of God moving in our midst and in our community like never before? Be reconciled to God, be reconciled to one another, and the Spirit of God will be poured out. It's very simple. Not easy, but very simple. So this morning, as we wrap up this message, I want to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to pray a prayer of reconciliation. It's a, it's a responsive prayer. And so there's a part that's going to be on the screen that says leader. I'll read that part, and you're going to read the part of the congregation. So I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me this morning. Across the barriers that divide us from race. Across the barriers that divide rich from poor. Across the barriers that divide people of different cultures. Across the barriers that divide Christians. 
across the barriers that divide men and women, young and old. Confront us, O Christ, with the hidden prejudices and fears that deny and betray our prayers. Enable us to see the causes of strife. Remove from us all senses of superiority. Teach us to grow in unity with all God's children. Let's pray together. Lord, I do pray that you would reconcile us to you and to each other. Jesus, you died on the cross so that we could stop going our direction and start going yours. And when we go your direction, we always find ourselves entering into community. So would you bring us together as the people of God like never before? Lord, I pray that you would make this church, this local expression of your body, diverse, multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic status, multi-generational. God, multi-everything. Please, God, bring us together as an expression of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God in this world. And may we be a witness to the community around us of what it looks like when people follow Jesus and love one another well. Please, God, do that in our midst. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.